Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We're going to start a series today called How to Live in a Broken World. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of Jesus' teaching. Many know what it teaches, but they may not know exactly where to find it or exactly what kind of, of context it is in. But I am of the belief that today, today, right now, even more than ever, there is a need for the followers of Jesus Christ to return to his word and to his teaching, to return back to the brass taxes of what Jesus has taught. Because, my friend, if you and I are basing our opinions of our spiritual walk on a, a pastor, a speaker, a politician, or a Facebook group, or a Facebook feed, my friend, we are lost. Because that is not the authoritative word. The authoritative word is the words of Jesus Christ. And it seems that many think the truth is found and what the majority of people come to a consensus of and what they can agree on. And if you are in the minority, then you're just simply wrong or too dumb to understand why you're wrong. I mean, that's the world that we live in. But the problem is, is that when we go back to the Word of God, this is the original, final, ultimate say on many things in how we live our life. And as Jesus is giving this Sermon on the Mount, He is giving us the means to be able to not only worship God, but how to live in this life. And so we have to go back to the original. Why is it important to go back to the original? I don't know if y'all remember many years ago before they had digital media and streaming and all of that stuff. I remember there was a, a tape one time that was a, it was a funny tape and it had kind of a, a cult following. And the only way you could get that tape is to know a youth pastor or somebody that had that tape, and if they could dub a copy for you from VHS to VHS. Any of y'all remember VHS tapes? All right. For those of you that don't know that, we actually used to put cassettes into a video player and watch video, not on our phone. But the thing is, is that after you copied that thing so many times, the the degradation, the video degradation, almost you couldn't tell what it is. Maybe you've seen, maybe if you've ever used a copier, you put your original on and then you make a copy and it looks like it, but it's a little bit less than your original. And if you take that copy and make another copy and so on and so on, pretty soon what you'll have is you'll have a blank piece of paper because as, as things continue to compound, as things are copied, if things are shared down that are not from the original, the meaning is taken away. And so, Today is the day that you and I must stop living for the acceptance of others. We must stop living for what we feel because that is what this world goes by. It's not about authority. It's not about scripture, but it is about how we feel. And the more we seek to find approval for our lives apart from God, the more Lost we will become. And as we move apart from God's word and God's will, the more our lives will seem out of control. And I don't know, maybe you're here today and, and you've got it all together. I'm going to tell you what, I haven't seen a crowd this good looking since last week. All right? But, <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is, is that we try our best to look like we have it all together. But the truth of the matter is, I don't have it all together. And you don't have it all together. And the thing is, is that 
when we start to feel like we're losing control of our lives, usually it's because we are running on autopilot rather than seeking what God wants for our lives. So starting today, quit letting your social media feed, your news channels, and your phone calls guide the way that you live. Let today be the day that you and I get back to the basics. As we strive to live as Jesus taught us to live, then and only then will we find his peace and all that God wants us to be. Do you want the peace of God today? Do you want to know that you can be all that God created you to be? Well, Jesus tells us how in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount today, and we're starting with the Beatitudes. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, we see that you must place yourself in a position to hear Jesus' teaching. And you've done that simply by being here today. Notice it says in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, that one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Folks, Jesus wants to teach you something today. I know many of us came here for many different reasons, but bottom line is, is to worship Jesus. Jesus has a word for you today, and his word for you may not be the same thing that he has for me. He works like that. And so Jesus wants to teach you something. When someone sits down in front of you and asks you to listen to something that is important, you know that what they are about to say is going to have an implication on your life. It's kind of like when your family member says, look, when we get home, I need to talk to you about something. You know, or like the church member, preacher, I need to talk to you about something. Okay, what is it? I can't tell you now. Don't do that. But the truth of the matter is, is that when someone sits down in front of you and asks you to listen to something important, you know that what they are about to say is significant. And the Sermon on the Mount is, in effect, King Jesus' inaugural address. He is starting his ministry, and this is his first address to disciples, and he is explaining what he expects of the members of the kingdom. And you and I, as believers, are members of his kingdom. And so the setting here is Jesus sitting down in front of his disciples. You see, in Jewish culture, the, Jew, the senior teacher of the law would sit down to explain their lessons. Many people compare Jesus giving this sermon to his disciples as just as significant as when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to give to the Israelites in the Old Testament. So the first thing we must do is put ourselves in a position to listen to him. And that's what you're doing here today. And now the next thing is to listen or not listen. The choice is yours. And it is mine as well. You see, you have chosen to listen to Jesus teaching today with your attendance here. But the disciples, they place themselves at the feet of Jesus to listen. My friend, if you feel like Jesus is not talking to you during the middle of the week, are you sitting next to him? Are you seeking him? Have you come to church today intent on learning something? I know that I have, and I know that that's my prayer as well. But here's the thing. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read the Scripture, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there is no way we can do it by ourselves. You are not expected to follow Jesus' teaching alone. 
You were not expected to follow Jesus' teaching alone. Let me show you a verse, Hebrews 12, verse 2. And it says this, it says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The two key words here I've put in bold and underlined for you. That Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects. My friend, you do not come to Jesus Christ on your own terms and do something that makes you earn your salvation. It is a process that I cannot explain, but I do know this, that Jesus Christ does not come into your life without it first being initiated by Jesus. And so if you did nothing to earn this, what makes you think you can do something to manage this in your own strength? And look, you're not perfect today. I understand that. I'm not. Per- I'm probably least perfect than anybody in here. But the truth is that we're all in a process. And it is not me, it's not determined for me to perfect myself, but Christ who is within me to perfect me. And none of us are going to be perfected on this side of heaven. It will not happen until we are with him. So regardless of what you think of yourself or what people say about you, You and I will never be perfect in our own strength. And the bar that Scripture set is so high. When you read the Scriptures, you're like, man, there is no way I can do this. Guess what? You're right! You can't. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need His mercy. That's why we need His grace. There are people outside of this wall today, and even inside these walls that are saying, I don't understand why it's not working right. I've been raised in church. I know how to worship. I know the things to say. I know what the Scriptures say, but there is no power in that. My friend, let me ask you, are you trying to live it and meet with it with your own strength? Are you using the strength within you, which is Jesus Christ, to help you get there? You may feel strong today or you may feel weak, but either way, you are not alone. And Jesus has a plan for you in this broken world. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, I want you to see that the Beatitudes are targeting a Christian's character. Character. And that is something this world is devoid of today. There is not much character among people today. I mean, people think that there's going to be a great revival because Kanye West put out a a a, a Christian album. Look, I'm glad that the, the the Lord is working in his life, and I'm glad that the Lord is working in other celebrities' life, and that's okay. But I'm glad that he's working in my life. I'm glad that he's working in your life. And we need to be people of character, people that not perfect. I have more people tell me, James, I appreciate the fact that you don't pretend to be something that you're not. You're just real. And I like that because I don't want to portray to somebody that because I am a pastor, that I am somehow better than anyone that I come into contact with. We all put on our shoes the same way. The Beatitudes is targeting the character and... I like this quote by Aaron Rodgers, who's a quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. He says, authenticity is everything. Boy, that speaks volumes. Authenticity is everything. You have to wake up every day and look in the mirror, and you want to be proud of the person who's looking back at you. And you can only do that if you're being honest with yourself 
and being a person of high character. You have an opportunity every single day to write that story in your life. Well, as we jump into the the precepts of the Sermon on the Mount, the first one we see is in verse 3. We need to be poor and humble. Notice it says, be attitudes. These are the attitudes that we must be, is what Jesus is saying. And the first thing is, is that we need to be poor and humble. And my, my friend, let me tell you what, if you could tell me, well, pastor, I am poor and I am humble. If you can say you're poor and humble, you're neither. <laughs> Cause the minute you realize that you're humble, you've lost it. And so it says here, God blesses those who are poor in spirit or those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poor means a few things. The first thing, literally, of course, we can identify with this. You may not have all the money that you want today. You may have more payments than you have income, which comes from living outside of your means. Look, I understand I was young when Don and I were growing up. We had credit cards and we didn't go out and buy extravagant things. But by the time you have dentist bills, doctor bills and uh, appliances that break and all those kind of things uh, for a young couple, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't get strapped down to credit cards. It took us years to dig out from that. And my friend, if you're living from payment to payment and you're saying, how can I squeeze one more payment in with the money that I make? That ain't living. The things that you own are owning you. You may not have all the money you want. You may have more payments than income, which comes from living outside of your means. But if Jesus is not in control of your finances, then he is not in control of your life. Point blank. Blessed are those that worship God with whatever resources God has blessed them with. I'm telling you you what, it will set you free if you tell yourself, look, all that I have comes from God. So whenever I get something in, the first 10% goes to God. That teaches you to not live outside of your means, and it teaches you to honor God with your finances. And the crazy thing that happens is you become content with what you have. This is just not a preacher telling you that. This is a testimony. I've seen it in my life as well. So there's literal poor, then there's emotionally poor. Being poor in spirit means that you're being humble. Is it really hard to fill a glass of your favorite drink. I mean, think about it. Whether it be Gatorade or whatever you got, let's say you're really thirsty and you pick it, you see a glass on the table and it's filled with water and you can't stand to drink water. What are you going to have to do to get your favorite drink in there? You're going to have to pour it out. My friend, if you're full of your life and you're full of yourself, there is no room for Christ to work in. You have to empty yourself. You have to become humble. You cannot fill your life with God if you're full of yourself. So there's literal poorness, there's emotional, and there's spiritual poorness. Romans 6, 5 through 6 says this, that when we were utterly helpless, that we were powerless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people will not be willing to die for an upright person Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But, but, verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. Folks, you are spiritually poor and you will never be good enough for God's standards. That is why Jesus Christ came in the first place. We are poor and if we don't see ourselves as needing Christ, we won't need him. 
And we will reap the consequences of that. The second one is to be sad. Be sad. That doesn't make sense. But look at verse 4 of chapter 5. He said, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does that mean? Let me tell you this. Don't be afraid to feel life. Let me say that one more time. Don't be afraid to feel life. I know, I hear it right now. Well, preacher, you have no idea what I felt, so you can just move on from this. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we all feel life. We feel the, the exhilaration, and we feel the depths, and we feel the pain, and we feel the honor. We feel all of these things. But you may think that you want to go through life without feeling the highs and lows, but the truth of the matter is, the highs and lows are what make up life. People will do many things to not feel their lives. They will have addictions. They will mask the pain that they're going through. I remember as a teenager, I thought I could make my problems disappear by drinking. But I found out that they always swam. And when I sobered up and I got ready and I got back on the track, I realized that they were still there and I still had to deal with them, folks. Folks, God knows how you feel. Addictions, bad relationships, depressions, withdrawal, anger, and more. Yes, we live like we can be tough on our own, but it is these moments that God wants you and I to trust Him. You feel pain, I feel pain. You may be in pain this very moment over some type of loss or disappointment. But my friend, God knows how you feel. He had to kill his own son to save you and I to do so. And God uses pain in our lives to draw us to him. As I've said many times before, when I've had painful moments in my life and I came out of them, I was almost scared because I realized that when I was in that pain, that is when I walked the closest with God. Blessed are those who are sad and then mourn. Because it is when you are in that moment, you feel God the most. And also, we need to be sad over what happens to us, but we also need to be sad over our sin. Folks, you need to own your stuff. You need to own up to your sin. There is nothing that drives me crazier when I see somebody do something wrong, and I call them out on it, and they said, I didn't do it. Doesn't it drive you crazy? But the thing is, is that many continue the same sin because they have given themselves over to it. If that is you, I want you to understand something. If you have continued to sin in your life in a certain area and you've become callous to it and it no longer feels wrong, do not mistake that feeling with God condoning it. God does not condone it. You have just lost the conviction over it. And that is a scary place to be. I think of a a great illustration is in Psalm 51 where David has been busted for being an, an adulterer, a murderer, 
a liar. He is busted in front of everybody. And he says in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Folks, when we sin, it doesn't only hurt us. It doesn't only hurt the people that may be involved with us. It is against God himself. And we also, we mourn and turn to Jesus. You want the kind, of Je- the kind of peace that Jesus gives? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there is nothing in this program, I mean, excuse me, there is nothing in this world, there is, nothing, there is no program, there is no, I mean, there are a lot of people that can help you manage life. But the only way to find true peace is through Jesus. You want to take my opinion for it? It's not my opinion. It says in John 14:27, Jesus says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Okay, we need to be sad. We also need to be humble. Some translations say meek. It says that God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they shall inherit the whole earth. When I think of the word meek, many people think weak, wimp, some kind of person that doesn't take a stand. That is not what being meek means. Meekness is power under restraint. Meekness is having the power to knock somebody's block off and choosing not to do it. Meekness is power under restraint. And meekness is not weakness. And humility is not a disability. Meekness is not weakness. And humility is not a disability. When I think of, hu- when I think of meekness, I think of my dog. I think of my dog a lot. Y'all think of your dog a lot? If you had a dog, I think of my dog a lot. And it's amazing. I don't have a little yippy dog. If you have a little yippy dog, that's fine. I mean, they need love too. But when you have a middle to larger size dog, you can like put your hand in her mouth and almost your whole fist can go in there. Be playing with them, wrestling with them on the floor. That's fine. But the thing is, is that what we don't realize is that dog has enough power in his mouth to crush our hand. To crush our hand. But it would never dream of doing it. Now, if you have a little yippy dog, maybe they'll crush your toe or your, your, your pinky. And that's okay. They're still mean little things. Why is it the smaller dogs are the meaner ones? I don't understand that. Maybe people are like that too. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, is that when, when I think of that dog and I think of what he could do, but what he chooses not to do. I think that is a definition of meekness. Humility means, and and meekness means, to have the ability and power to dominate and manipulate someone, but choosing not to because you love and respect them. You respect yourself and you respect God. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but there have been some moments, kind of like you're driving down the road, somebody zooms by you on the interstate, and you're like, boy, I wish I could just see a cop pull them over. And then you get like down the street and they're pulled over and you're like, yes, you want to get out of the car, do a dance. Yeah. But you know what? The truth of the matter is I've been in situations and you've been in situations where you could get somebody back. You could get one over on them. You could get payback. And does it really help to get it? It doesn't, because when you do that, you become just like them. Meekness. Is having the ability and the power, but choosing not to harm somebody. And 
Meekness has its rewards. It is a dog-eat-dog world we live in. They tell us to look out for number one. They tell us if you can't roll the big dog, stay on the porch. They tell us to don't be taken advantage of, take advantage of somebody else first. But Jesus says a humble person will inherit the world. A meek person will inherit the world. Let me ask you something. Would you like all of your riches now while you live in this earth with the understanding that when you go, they won't go with you? Let's say you could have everything that the earth could offer, but yet when you die, it doesn't go with you. That's the truth. You may not inherit everything you want now, but you will always have everything you need in Christ. The next thing we see is be hungry to please God. Be hungry to please God. In verse 6, it says, God blesses or satisfies, some translations say, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, for they will be satisfied. Folks, our satisfaction comes from living out God's word in our life. Whether it be a family member, a co-worker, a teacher, a coach, we all love to do good for somebody, don't we? We are to do the same thing by living right before God. Why is that? How do you know your children love you? It's because when you ask them to do something, they obey you. If you ask them to act a certain way and they do that, you're like, man, I just love that kid. They did that because I asked them to. What do you think God thinks when we, as his children, do what he asks us to do? I believe he's very proud. I believe that means a lot to him. And I believe it hurts him when we don't. Also, we need to be merciful. Verse 7 says that God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Being merciful. Nothing proves more clearly that we have been forgiven than our readiness to forgive others. To show another, one other mercy and forgiveness is to prove that Jesus has done the same for us. And I know when I get on that whole forgiveness thing, I can just feel the tension in the room just go, and just wrench down. Because you're like, oh, preacher, you don't know what I've gone through. That's right. I've said it before. You don't know what I've gone through. But I do know this. Holding on and having unforgiveness and bitter spirit will cause spiritual and maybe even physical cancer in your life. You are forgiven because you have been forgiven and we should forgive others. The next thing we see is that we should be pure. In verse 8 it says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. Purity, here we go. Woo! Purity. Am I the only one that looks for something without a blemish when I'm in a store. I can go somewhere, and if I want to buy something, and, and I pick it up, I'm like, yeah, this is what I want. But if I notice the least little crinkle on the box, or if it looks like somebody has, has dropped it, I am quick to put that one back and get the one behind it without a blemish. Why? Because you know if there is a blemish on the box, it might be broken on the inside. Well, here's the thing. 
is that if we have blemishes, if we live impure lives in front of people, people are going to assume that if we are broken on the outside, we are broken on the inside as well. You may, you may be like many today that you think God's main desire for you is to be happy. Well, my friend, it's not for you to be happy. It's for you to be holy. It's for you to not only worship Him on a Sunday, but worship Him every day. Because here's the truth of the matter. God doesn't want your church attendance. God wants you. If you don't believe me, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a price, so you must honor God with your body. I've heard many people say, it's my body, I can do what I want to with it. If you're a Christian, your body is not your own. It has been bought for and paid for by Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And now, check this out. Verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior of the customs of this world, but let God, here's the word, here's the word, here's the word, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The biggest problem with church today, especially here in America, is everybody wants to worship, but they do not want to transform their lives. They want to live like they want to live. They want to live like everybody else. But come to Sunday and have a good pep rally and feel better about themselves and then go back the rest of the week. Jesus does not want your... God himself said, look, if you've got issues, you need to drop your stuff that you're getting ready to worship with, and you need to go fix your issues before you come to me. God doesn't want your attendance. He doesn't even want your money. He doesn't want your time before the first thing that he wants is your life, a transformed life. And if you claim to be a Christian and you live, your life is no different from someone that is not a Christian Brother or sister, you need to get that right. Because when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he changes your life. It also says in verse 9, we should be a peacemaker. It says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. In a world of chaos, peacemakers can speak volumes. Have you heard anything about some, there's some kind of uh, impeachment inquiry going on? Have y'all heard anything about that? I'm so sick of hearing those two words together. And whether you're for it or against it, that's not what I'm going to talk about. But what I'm going to say is, is that there are Christians that will sit around the McDonald's and the Hardee's and the, and on the Facebooks and all these other different things. And they will talk about their opinions on one side or the other. And we will go to the mat talking about what is right and what is wrong. But what is that getting done? I'm going to tell you what, there are a lot of people in life, but you will find in your life too, the people you like being around are the ones that not add to the chaos, but take away from it. The ones who are the peacemakers. A Christian seeking purity will be one that tries to make peace. 
Folks, don't be a drama queen or king. Don't be a pot stirrer, especially if you wear the name of Christ. Speak peace into the lives of others as Jesus has done with you. And as we round the corner here, be bold for Jesus. In verse 10, it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Being persecuted for Christ does not mean they didn't have your flavor of coffee at Starbucks in the morning. Being persecuted for Christ does not mean because someone did not like an Instagram post that you made. Being persecuted for Jesus Christ is taking a stand for what his word says and someone coming against you because of your stand. But if you do that, understand that it says you are blessed because there is nothing in this kingdom, in this world, that means anything to me. I could lose my car. I could lose my house. I could lose my health. I could lose my wife. I could lose my life. I could lose it all on this side of the heaven. But everything I got is waiting for me on the other side. And for you as well. Now, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm not welcoming that to happen, God. I wasn't saying I want that to happen. But if it does, be bold for Jesus. You will never know the strength, the authenticity of your faith until you take a stand for it. At the fire department we're at, many of the fire departments do this. Every year they have certain pieces of equipment, whether it be hoses or ladders or something, that they'd have to test them. They have to put them under a stress load, and they have to make sure that they can work. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. If you don't test the equipment, somebody's life is on the line. Someone could die because that equipment wasn't tested properly. And my friend, because you as a believer are tested, you are being tested. So when you need that strength, you are ready. And it may not even be about you. You may be tested because of something you're going to do for somebody else that's watching you. Blessed are those who are bold for Jesus. Blessed are those who are ready in verses 11, 12. God blesses you When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. What does Jesus tell them in verse 12? Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Folks, the darker this world becomes, the brighter are going to have to shine. Jesus delivered this sermon because he wanted you and I to be his witnesses, his example, his influencers on this world. But what good is a product if it stays on the shelf or in storage? As we read the Beatitudes, we find that they represent an outlook that we as believers should have that is radically different from this world. This world praises pride instead of humility. This world encourages sin rather than purity. And this world is at war with God, and God is seeking to redeem those in this world. So I'll end with this. If you are a follower of Jesus today, it's time for you to be one. And what does be one mean? It means everything that we just talked about in the Beatitudes. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this night or this morning. And dear Heavenly Father, I know that 
that you have taught us, Lord, in this passage, that this is the way that we must live. But as we've been talking about this, oh, dear God, if there's anyone here that would say there's no way I'll ever measure up to this. May your spirit prompt them now to let them know that you're telling them, I know you can't make up. I know that you can't do this. But that is why I sent my son, Jesus, who is the one who initiates the faith and perfects it. If there's one person here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they're sick of seeing life not work out like it's laid out in the Bible, may you come into their lives. As we saw Drazen earlier be baptized, he was baptized because Jesus came into his life. Maybe someone else wants to follow through. Accept Jesus as their Savior, Lord. Maybe get baptized. Maybe just come to this altar and pray. If you would like to make a decision to follow Christ today, and you would like to make it rock solid, would you please come forward during this invitation? There would not be one person that would regret it. Everyone would rejoice in that. Because if there is one person here that is lost, today is the day that you can be found. For it's in your name we pray, God. Amen. Would you please stand? Mm -hmm.